Welcome back to the God Dimension Podcast. It's been a minute. Uh, sorry, y'all. It's been a it's been a while, almost a month, but I'm back, back again with my my brother. Uh, I might as well call him a co-host now. That's my co-host, Levante. All right, bro. How you How's, doing? I'm good. How's everybody out there? Man, it's we've been we've been sitting on some heat. We've been sitting on some stuff. Like I said, it's been a month, so we about to we about to jump right into this. There's been a lot going on. A lot going on in the media. Not even media, just live, just the world in general. So, probably going to discuss on, you know, the topics that's the Jesse Swallett situation. Kind of up in the air about that one. You know, Kamala Harris and, you know, the private school versus public school. That's a real big debate. Yeah, yes, yes. I gotta, I gotta get on, gotta get on that one. Let's jump into it, man. So, now, have you um, been paying attention to the Jesse Smollett situation? I, I have. So when it first released, you know, of course I read it. And I know there were some conflicts about the whole lynching and, right. like, the rope around his neck and whether mm-hmm. it was a, a crime, you know, like, homophobic or, like, whether it was about race. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was, I guess, down the, uh, now the authorities are asking him to turn over his phone to see, you know, see what was going on or anything or try to see some phone records what's going on. But now if, well, I have seen that some people, for what reason, they don't believe what's going on. They don't believe what happened. I mean, he had a, uh, had a, he had a hospital picture. He had a gash under, I think it was either gash or cut under his eye. Face looked a little bit swollen. He did have a couple broken ribs. We couldn't see that, but it was reported or documented that he had a couple broken ribs. But um, I don't know. I know that some people, like in the, our community, black community, have been getting backlash about why we haven't said anything. I know, like Taraji P. Henson said something, came to his aid. Terrence Howard came to his aid. Kevin Hart came to his aid. But on the flip side, those coming to his aid have been bashed as well. So I just think it's a, it's a you know what I'm saying it's a yeah. double-edged sword on that one. I think people, a lot of people are questioning like the legitimacy of uh-huh. like his claim. Right, right. Because I guess apparently when the whole situation happened, he was supposed to be talking to his manager or somebody on the phone. Yep. And that's why they wanted him to hand over his phone records to see if like, you know, he was actually where he was when he said he was and like, uh, everything else. But they couldn't find even much footage from like I think it was like 20 different street cameras they looked at that's the problem yeah so I think the problem within our community is a lot of people just don't know if it's true and then the way the media is playing on this whole story is Mm kind of like well if it happened we're there for them but like if that's not the real story then what the real story like what is the real story yeah yeah I just hope that is I hope it's not a not saying he did, but, you know, just a lot of things. When something big is about to happen with an artist or a person, usually, and I've, this is what I've seen throughout the past years, just in the past in general, that they've pulled some sort of publicity stunt. You know, always a publicity stunt about something. So I just hope that, you know, it it's true. I hope it's not, I hope it's not false. Another thing I'm seeing is that, it was something about him being a, you know, being a homosexual, and if he had been homosexual and a Caucasian, it wouldn't have happened. But since he's, you know, 
He's black and he's homosexual, so it's all like it's an automatic, you know, hate crime. Like yeah. it's almost a double hate crime. So I don't know, man. But like I said, if he did, I hope he gets through that situation. It's always a tough situation. Yeah, I, I think the conflict between it being a double hate crime mm-hmm. is the way some of the media makes it seem is yeah. like it was purely racial when they said they uh, scream like. This is MAGA hat country. Yeah, MAGA hat. And yeah. Pour bleach on them and stuff like that. And then the rope around the neck. The so, like, yeah. it's, it's kind of one of those things, like, is it really because he was gay? Or, or is like, it for real because you was black? Exactly. Like I said, double-edged sword. And now, have you, uh, Kamala Harris been paying attention to Kamala Harris in the media? I have. I've been trying to stay up on her. I don't. I don't want to pass judgment too harshly too soon because uh-huh. I don't know everything she's, I guess, trying to accomplish her entire agenda. I do know there are some questions to who she's really trying to represent and right. like is she really trying to make a difference and like her prosecution record mm-hmm. has been in question in a yeah. lot of cases. Yeah, I know. Um, you had told me about it right when we looked at it and she, uh, it was a statement, you know. They asked her, did she identify, you know, what she identifies as, and she says, proud American. I'm like, uh, I'm like, oh, nah, man, nah. I think, message, this is my problem with that. Obviously, you're the black woman. My, my thing is, you're going to have a lot, you are, you probably already, she probably already doesn't know, but I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of, you know, young black women or young black girls that look up to her, so now you, you don't want to have to put this identity as issue out there with them as it's not okay to you know to be yourself yeah. pretty much and that's what I that's what my issue was with it with that is that she as a proud American like no nah, you're like it's it's visible it's clear as that it, you're black you know so I don't know my, my that was my that was my main main issue with that and I saw her interview with her on um, on Breakfast Club you know it just I don't know it just seemed kind of Kind of yeah, I didn't watch the interview on Breakfast Club, but I definitely saw the clip of her saying she was a proud American, and like that does rub me in a certain way because, mm-hmm. like you said, there are a lot of young black girls who look up to her, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with wanting to represent change and yeah. a different time for everybody. Uh-huh. But I think we're all aware that like this is a different time, so I think it's more important that like she's proud of who she is. And her background, so that other you know young black girls could also be proud to say that they're black right. and that they are working hard. They're getting degrees. They're accomplishing a lot right now, so they deserve that credit as well. Right, right. Do you think so? With that being said, with <clears throat> all that, do you think somebody can get in office, no matter what it is, and actually like like African Americans or blacks? Do you think they could get in office and actually represent? us and themselves without any type of stipulations? No, but I think it's because even within our own community, like we we don't really allow for like people to fully represent us. Like mm-hmm. we always find a reason to attack them and bring mm-hmm. them down and like not truly support them. Mm-hmm. So I think they gear a lot of policies towards the people who are gonna reelect them and take the time to like you know, put them back in office every single time or listen to their issues or maybe not listen to their issues but vote for them anyway just because they're a likable person. That's the thing. And that was the 
<clears throat> now I'm seeing now that was, you know, when Obama um, had his, you know, after he was done with his two terms, there's just a lot of things coming out. Oh, he didn't do anything for us. He didn't do anything for us. I'm like, you know, understand that, yes, you know, black president, definitely, that's something, something that we that we got to see in this generation, definitely. But also, too, it's the fact that, like I said, can they actually, like, represent us as well as represent themselves? Because I feel like, you know, whenever, with him getting in the office, I feel like he was just a puppet, to be honest. I'm not saying he was a puppet because he wanted to be, but under the, you know, being the president of the United States, you got to just follow, with anything you do, you just got to follow certain rules and regulations. And I don't feel like he should get the backlash that he should have got when he was just trying his best. And, and it was problems with him not doing enough for the community, for our community, you know, for the black community. But he can only do so much, too. And you I know, without being with, he can only do so much without trying to be reprimanded as well. Yeah. You know? And I definitely agree with that. I also think it's different within our own community because we've been so far removed from one mm -hmm. another mm -hmm. that. Like, we don't truly support one another all the time. And, like, when we're, like, when we say things like we're proud to be black, like, in other communities, that's acceptable. Like, if you're Jewish, it's okay to be proud to be Jewish and stick to, you know, being within your culture. Or if you're, you know, Asian, it's okay to marry within your culture and it not be a big deal. But, like, we make, we put so much emphasis within the black community when it comes to supporting one another. And then we try to make it an issue of, like, we we make everything about race when really it's not truly about making things about race. It's just about wanting to better our own community so we can be strong within the entire you know world, the environment. Like, yeah, it automatically becomes an issue when we want you know when we want for self. We always want to do for self, and that um, that kind of like leads into you know there was the how many of you were talking yesterday on the phone about you know Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Jr. Both who were great, prominent leaders, very both had good points of view and about their ways of going. It it was just they were both they were just literally two sides of the coin. And so they were two sides of the coin. Now may now did they agree a lot? Nah, not so much, but it was always a ultimate, you know, an ultimate goal with them. And I'm seeing the issue now is that people were starting to bash MLK. But I'm like, man, you can't really bash because he done he's done a lot for us. You know, and even with um, Malcolm, people name people may not agree with Malcolm, but I'm also seeing that as we got older, I feel like we are going more towards Malcolm's philosophy than Martin Luther King's philosophy. Like I was saying yesterday, there's no more turn the other cheek. I just can't keep turning the other cheek. Yeah, and uh, an inter interview on Breakfast Club as well with Killer Mike. Yeah, he was talking about Dick Gregory and how upset he was with how things we're going within our community, mm -hmm. like, why we choose not to fight. And, yeah. like, we just sit back because we've seen for, you know, so many years that sitting back really didn't progress us much mm -hmm. further than what we were before. So now we're at a point where, like, we have to stand up. We have to, like, take what we feel like we deserve. And it's not about, like, taking from other people. It's just trying to get a piece of the pie, just trying to be equal. Yeah. You know, we all are... Into, like we're all human beings and if we truly believe that whether you're religious or not everybody deserves to be treated equally and fairly and that's all we want it's as simple as that yeah and even though even we're trying to be treated you know equally even with the civil rights movement we were still you know separated from everyone else you know I don't I can't recall if anyone that was getting dogs sick on them being sprayed with, with fire hose or just just getting beat up 
just due to the fact of your of your skin color. And I could see where Malcolm's frustration came about. It was almost like, hey, okay, we've been marching, we've, we've, we've been doing this for so long. What else do you want us to do? Like, literally, what else do you want us to do? And by any means necessary. That was his mantra. That was, that was his mantra for a lot of things before that time, before that time period. And I don't blame him at all. Also, with Dr. King, I always, and this is my part, Dr. King, I feel like Dr. King was more of a, I say Malcolm was it, but more of the bigger man because Martin Luther King got spat on, beat up, rocks thrown out, got even thrown in jail. And he was still all about, man, just peace, peace, peace. You know, that was his, that was his monster. That was his motto. And that's why I say he's, we need to give more respect to him, definitely. Because without him, we would definitely not be doing all of this. Yeah. Anything that we do. We wouldn't even be doing this right now. Because he gave us the voice to do this. Yeah, and he also gave us a platform to actually speak on national stages and, like, be heard. Yeah. Like, even though a lot of people may feel like there's some, you know, puppeteering going on mm -hmm. in that. I feel like he did try to represent us in the best best way he knew how. And you can't criticize anyone for trying to do the best that they can do, even if it wasn't the right way mm -hmm. to go about it. Yeah. He had so much of an impact on us that, you know, when, when me and you was in school, bro, from grade school, from kindergarten to sixth grade, every year on Martin Luther King Day, what do we do, man? We march. We march down Martin Luther King Street. Mm-hmm. On the 28th of Martin Luther King, Holy Angels Catholic School here yep. in Indianapolis. And that's what we did. And it gave us a sense of self, a sense of pride, a sense of belonging. You know, at an early age, too, as kindergarten, you know, as kindergartners, first graders, at, at kindergarten, first grade, the usual kid is not really thinking about that. They just want to play. No, you know, right. You just want to play color, play games, get in trouble, cry, sleep, eat lunch, whatever you want to do, snack, all that stuff. But when we did that, it gave us a sense of self. Like you said, the... um. I can't remember what they're called. Affirmations. Affirmations. Yes, the affirmations. Back then, we didn't look at them as affirmations. But now, those are definitely positive affirmations. Like, I am somebody. You know, emoji, kujichakalia, you know, self-determination. Yeah, stuff like that. The principles that tell us a little bit more about our culture and mm -hmm. ourselves and, like, what our mission is and to stay focused. And as long as we follow these things, mm -hmm. like, we will be fruitful, even if it isn't monetary, but within our community, we'll right. be one. right. No, that's true, and I, and that's leads into the private school versus public school. And Killer Mike said something yesterday. Well, I don't think it was yesterday, it was, but it was like two days ago. Yeah. He came out of the interview. He said, "I send my kids to school. I think kids should, or you know, just black kids go out there, go to school with their um, with their people until about the time until they're they're twelve or thirteen. Like, well, yeah." And that's what we did. We was the only angels from kindergarten to sixth grade. After that, we went to Cardinal Ritter. And it was a it was really a culture shock. It was really a culture shock. But before we even went there, before we went to Cardinal Ritter, we had that sense of stuff. We was we was learning stuff about, you know, black economics, black Wall Street. Um of course Martin Luther King. We was learning about Malcolm X, the Black Panthers, you know. Oh, it was it was just so much and it gave us pride of belonging that oh yeah we belong here for sure yeah but we even had black history plays on in which we all had to act as yep. different you know famous mm -hmm. inventors or mm -hmm. you know famous black you know anybody that was famous and black at that time right. that we didn't know about or we didn't know who you know made made the stoplight yeah they made us it gave us you know the knowledge is infinite so it made us want to research more like okay this is the play this is the character i'm going to be playing i'm going to research more i'm going to know more about 
Booker T. You know, Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, you know, Thurgood Marshall, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth. You know, I want to know more about those individuals because this is my lineage. Like, my lineage. Because back then, bro, we really wouldn't see no positive black people in the light like that. I mean, of course, we had rappers. Yeah. Now we look back on it, but look, look, what was they telling us to do? You know, we had, you know, the bling, okay. Music sound good for sure, but we, you know, we had bling, bling, you know. Go ahead, shake ass, all that stuff, you know, throw money. But we never had something like that that was in our face, like how my dad's generation had. You know, my dad's generation had people, even they even had sports people like Muhammad Ali and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar taking a stand. You know, even Bill Russell, you know what I mean? Yeah, these important figures that are all speaking about what's going on in their communities that are is being silenced mm-hmm. a lot of times. Right. So that's why I felt like it was really important when we were in Holy Angels because it did give us that sense of pride. It gave us that sense of belonging to something bigger than ourselves because mm-hmm. even though we were all different ages, different sizes, different backgrounds, like we when we went to that school, we were like a family. Yeah. And even to this day, a lot of us are all still like a family. Yep. Even, you know, what, 20, almost 20 years ago when yeah. we first started going there. So it's like, we spent a lot of time there learning more about our history so that when we were integrated into other cultures and races and met all these different people, mm-hmm. I knew who I was. So yeah. I was confident to yep. be around people who weren't like me right? because I knew exactly who I was and where I stood. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. It's definitely. Um, and when it came to, you know, going to a red or another Transition from all black private school to you know a private school that pretty much is a melting pot. Um, like I said, it was a culture shock. Never really been around you know. We never really about white people, Asians, Indians, Africans. The only time that me and you bro really got to experience being around them was when we played basketball against them. But they never they never heard our school before. No, oh, Holy Angels, where is that? That's why in the Martin Luther King. Oh, where is that? West Side. No, no, no about it. You know? I mean, they always treated us differently because we were an all-black team. Yep. Mm-hmm. Although we were all part of the same archdiocese. Like, yeah, and there's separation within that, you know. So, it's um, but I appreciate that experience though. I appreciate all the experience and that knowledge that I got, and I learned more about my history and where I come from. And going into uh, into Ritter, it was just. It was just real different, you know? It was, like, really different, especially when it came to history class. Because the stuff they tried to teach me in history class, I was like, no, nah, la, la, la. And I'll be honest with you, I was like, oh, I really didn't perform that well because I just didn't care because I knew it was BS. What you was telling me was BS, you know? Like, especially about stuff about Christopher Columbus and the real thing about, you know, with pilgrims and the Indians, like, we really know about that. It was just genocide. That was like a whole, that was like pretty much genocide against the Indians, Native Americans, you know? So, what was since you had left freshman year? Yes, I did. I went to Ben Davis. You went to Ben Davis. So, how was that transition from you going to a private school, being a private school all your life, going into freshman, getting a new start at Ben Davis? Well, truly, I think it's what I wanted because I felt as if. I was like reaching a ceiling. Mm-hmm. Like in private school, I did really well, but that's just because of the foundation I had at home. Mm-hmm. So it was more of an attest to like what my parents and my father did a lot more so than what like schooling did. Schooling mm-hmm. was important to like help me, I guess, feel accepted, but it wasn't so much of like my work ethic. That was something developed way earlier. So when I, you know, left Ritter and decided to go to Ben Davis, it was because. I felt 
that Ritter couldn't offer me anything else. I really felt that I had reached the ceiling, like academically. Yeah, they had, you know, decent academics compared to a lot of public schools and things like that, but it wasn't enough to keep me there. I didn't feel like I necessarily belonged there, and I felt like I wanted more, and I knew that there were more opportunities at larger schools because I saw how many people went to Ritter and ended up going to smaller schools, or a lot of kids that go to private schools stick to smaller universities or they stick within the state that they live in. And I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to branch out because I knew that the only way I could truly be, I guess, the individual I wanted to become was to like grow, to expand myself and to push. So I like begged my mom to let me go. Mm. I remember when you left too, it was, you know, the principal, Dean was begging you to stay, but he was telling me, he was like, man, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a token. The token black kid, yeah, you know? you know? Like, it, I'm not the poster child for your school. I'm me. Right. I mean, because when I was at Ritter, not not to take anything away from anybody, everyone yeah. knew what I did academically for there. For sure. Yeah, So, for sure. like, at the time I got to Ritter, like, I was really, you know, good at sports. I was, you know, pretty good at a lot of different things, and I just felt like, they wanted to keep me around or show that they were interested in me solely because I made them look good. Because mm -hmm. on paper, it looks good when you have a, a model black student mm -hmm. amongst all these other different people mm -hmm. because so many times we get a bad rap. And then the area we were in, we, we were like right down the street from Riverside. So like, yeah. it gets a lot of bad rap in that area, yeah. period, about the people who live there, the conditions of those areas, like yeah. the schools people don't feel like are as good. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, so do you feel like you were far more ahead? Like, for example, the stuff you was learning in, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade, do you feel like they were just touching on that when you got the freshman year of high school? I did feel like that, but I think it was because they just didn't know what I was capable of mm -hmm. up until that point. Like, yeah, they knew that I came from a private school and they kind of held that in like a special regard. Mm -hmm. But I think they wanted to fill me out. But once they saw, like, how advanced I was, they realized that, like, like he needs to be further along. So I do believe I learned a lot of things at Ritter that they were just touching on when I first got to Ritter or Ben Davis. Mm -hmm. But once I moved further along through Ben Davis, they had way more AP classes and electives to really challenge me more so than what I would have gotten at a smaller school like Ritter. Yeah. See, I'm a... Um... My homeboy, my homeboy John, he went to um, he went to Tech. He was telling me about all the programs that they had. Programs like firefighting, barber, wood shop. You know. Yeah, stuff. I did a metals class when He's, I went to Ben Davis, and that's something I never would have been able to do sticking in a smaller school. And my my dad said he went to when he went to Addis like back in the I think it was seventies. Uh, you know, in the seventies, he said they had a wood shop, a pressing class. We learned how to press, and eventually, you know, working on have your own laundry company or a laundromat one day or even cleaning company one day. Just stuff like that. Like you said, on a smaller scale in our school, we didn't have real electives like that. You know, I don't consider pretty much life skills. How about that? I don't consider we didn't have life skills at Ritter. We had extra religion classes. Yeah, extra man. like an AP, AP theology, AP religion. Like, are you serious? Like that? No disrespect. Yes, private school. I understand, understand that. It's under the archdiocese, which makes perfect sense. Definitely makes perfect sense. But you have to nurture my talents, too, and nurture my passion. 
And they had, I think, nursing. That was it. And at the time, I didn't want to be no nurse. I still don't want to be no nurse. But it was just something that wasn't nurtured, like your school or North Central or even Heron. I would have loved to go on to Heron. You know, I love writing. I would have loved to go on to Heron and nurture, like, my writing and, you know, art or something like that. And I just feel like that they should more offer more because if you're going, especially if you're in that demographics you're in, you have black children like that, all of them are not going to play sports. No, and not all of them are going to ex- excel in school. Yeah. But that's just anywhere. Like, yeah. not every person is meant to be an all-star student because exactly. their interests may lie elsewhere. Exactly. Everybody's not going to be Michael Jordan. Everybody's going to be, you know, paid man, and everybody's not going to be, you know, Albert Einstein. You know, there's some people that you may have, may have like a little Picasso back there, but you don't even know because you haven't nurtured that talent or... You may have a Langston Hughes, but you don't know because you haven't, or a Duke Ellington because you haven't nurtured that talent. And I feel like that was one thing I was lacking, and I didn't really find my talents until after I graduated high school. I just start, I just did a lot of writing, you know. I always just started journaling stuff, and I wish, and I always think about that. What if they had something like that at, you know, at Ritter? You know what I mean? What what could what could have been? They had something like that already, but a lot of day funding went to, you know, keeping the school up to par. Um, it's expensive as hell. School's expensive as hell. And they built, I think they built the um, football field. Yeah. You know? They built a nicer football field. Yeah, yeah, football field, and they built, like, a little chapel over there. So, and I always wish... I went to a uh, public school because my parents, you know, I just man, just didn't care for private school, you know, especially, like, you was the main one that, like, you know, kept my head on straight and kept me focused. So when you left, I was just like, mm, you know what I mean? It shouldn't have been an excuse, but it was, I had to find my own way, you know, I had to find my own path. But I always wish that it was something else that nurtured us. And we had, like, I wish I would experience more. I would have went to a, a bigger you know, a bigger facility, a bigger bigger institution. Yeah. I think a lot of parents, you know, because I believe your parents did exactly what they felt was yeah, best for, for you sure. and Evan at the time. Yeah. And that was keeping you in private school. Yeah. But I think a lot of parents get scared to put their kids in a larger environment like yeah. that because they feel like they're not going to get the attention they need or they're going to be left behind because we don't represent, you know, the majority in a lot of larger mm-hmm. schools. So... I definitely understand the fear there as a parent, but I also believe that you got to have faith in your child to really work hard and push through all that because there is that by any means necessary mentality. And if you really want something, you won't let anything stop you. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt when I made that transition was that I felt, you know, all the years leading up to that, I was preparing myself to like really go and work hard for something that I wanted. It wasn't about what my parents wanted it had got to a point that school for me was important. So, like, I wanted to be the best that I could be. So I was always in competition with me, not other people. There's always going to be other people who are as good as me or better than me or a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. I always, I'm always going to fit somewhere in the middle, but I'm always going to work to be towards the top of that because that's who I am and that's my work ethic. So did you feel, like, right at home when you went to, when you got to be Ben Davis? Or was it a... Was it, was the transition rough or smooth? It was. Or was it was, like in between? I would say it was rough because 
Only in the sense of I went from having maybe 30 to 50 people in my entire class mm-hmm. to having, you know, when I went to freshman year, like over a thousand students were in this freshman center. That's crazy. So I was around way more people than I had I had ever been around. So it was a, a transition. But I think once I got settled in and start, you know, taking classes and meeting some people, I think it became an easy transition because it's when you're around people who have similar interests, you can always, you know, build a friendship or have a foundation that will, you know, make you friends or, you mm-hmm. know, make things easier for you. No, that's true. I also have a question um, from that interview because they were talking about, you know, the whole private versus public school mm-hmm. debate. But DJ Envy made the claim that he felt like private schools are, you know, grooming entrepreneurs and billionaires or people who want to be millionaires. So that's kind of the advantage they have on the schools that do offer like work or wood shop and metals classes and barbering and nursing. It it was almost, you know, like he had a problem with it. Um, With me, okay. So with with the... I, I see where Envy was coming from. I definitely see where Envy was coming from. But not every. I think I've seen more. All of my friends that I know that went to private school, majority of them are entrepreneurs. Either they own some type of clothing line, some type of boutique, some type of, um, excuse me, um, barbershop, some type of business that they own with versus with the private schools, like a smidge of a few percent. And like you said, but in in public school, they nurtured that. They nurtured that. They had outlets for kids to go to. And if you didn't like that, next semester or whatever the case may be, month, you could pick up something else. And then, you know, with Envy, with DJ Envy, he said everybody wants to be a millionaire, too. Yeah, yeah. Everybody doesn't Everybody doesn't want to be a millionaire. Everybody doesn't want to have a big house. Some people just maybe just want to live in a subdivision of cul-de-sac and just live comfortable with their their kids and their wife or spouse, whatever the case may be, and a little dog. Not everybody wants to do that, but I don't think Envy was thinking about generational wealth either. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. He was thinking about just like mine. Yeah, for the right now. You know, and like how I was saying that Killer Mike made a good point. And when he was saying, talking about Southern roots, a lot of us come from down south. Like a lot of us, like from Indian or Indianapolis, Chicago, Gary, like we have that Southern. It's about the way we talk, the way we act, you know, how just how about some of our homes feel, how about our parents are. Like, I could tell, I could speak from my home, like myself, like my mom, my dad, especially my mother, they got that Southern feeling. You know, you feel comfortable when you walk into my mom, my mother and father's house. Yeah. You know, you get that Southern comfort. Or even walking to my grandma's house, you get that Southern comfort. And I don't think they had that, you know, Southern type of hospitality, you know. And Killer Mike was making something about how, he made a good point about his wife stopped him from buying, buying a car. Demon. Yeah, buying something. I think, yeah. The, the demon. Man. Yeah, and then went and, was it, bought a building? Yeah, he bought an apartment building. Yeah, apartment building. So instead of spending $150,000 on a car, mm-hmm. he spent $150,000, I think, on an apartment building. And sometime after that, he got it up to code and standard, and it was worth $650,000. See what I'm saying? Generational wealth. Just buy some land. But it, but I can tell that they don't you know think like that. How I many you were talking yesterday? I think it's that NY like NY state of mind thinking. 
you know, it's just now for the right now. Me, 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 me. I got to have it like right now versus the slow. The, I don't say slow, but the South is more of a taking their time and doing things because they don't want to slip up and mess up. Yeah. You know? So what did you think about what he said? About how they him and Killer Mike was bickering back and forth. I thought it was interesting, especially since I was one of those kids that did go to both public uh-huh. and private school. I don't necessarily think one grooms more billionaires or millionaires mm-hmm. than another, even if it is one of the top schools in the country. I think uh, Charlemagne had brought up a good point to say that it's more about the environment mm-hmm. and like their upbringing, which determines what they're going to be further along in life. It's not really going to a private school that's making them entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. But I also... I think times have changed. So I think us as millennials, we're at a point in our lives that we under, like we're starting to understand the importance of credit and all the things our parents may not have taught us about. But it may not be because of the private schools. It just may be a different time in which there's so much information out there. We have so much access to the internet. We have so much access to anything we want to touch. So we can get the information about how to fix our credit that our parents didn't know about. But it's because we know how to operate the Internet and find what we're looking for. So we're putting emphasis on these things. We don't want to listen to other people. But that's because we're supposed to be the most creative. Like we're not trying to ascribe to any said standard that society may have given us. We're thinking differently now. We're pushing ourselves in ways that our parents may not have done because they were way more traditional. Yeah, it's a generation of, we're the generation of uh, free thinkers. I was told that we're a generation of addicts, but I think we're more so a generation of uh, of free thinkers. The way we, we like, we, we question a lot of things, you know, we always want to question the, you know, whether maybe religion or the existence of, you know, whose God is right, whose God is wrong, or just in general, we don't want to fall under anyone else's standards are be under be put into that societal box where we have to follow a certain rule to how to think how to go about things when I feel like us as millennials we created so many shortcuts for ourselves and not shortcuts in a bad way but shortcuts that make us work smarter not harder versus back then I feel like they worked a lot harder it was like nine percent hard ten percent smart not taking away from anyone's intelligence not at all back then but I just feel like now, like you said, with the research, I said knowledge is infinite. It's always something out there that we could, you know, research and bring knowledge to ourselves, use that knowledge and apply that knowledge or apply that wisdom with our knowledge, you know? Yeah. I mean, just think back to like how, you know, our grandparents or great grandparents, like I know me growing up in East Chicago or, you know, being from East Chicago, Gary area that Mm -hmm. like. My grandfather and, you know, a lot of my family worked in steel mills yep. and, you know, endured a lot of bad conditions. Yeah. And they made a lot of money. And that's how they, you know, were middle class or, you know, average black Americans or Americans, period. But now there's a transition of like what makes money. So, you know, we spent a lot of money on like manual labor and like mm-hmm. our bodies and physically is what made us, you know, breadwinners. Mm-hmm. But now we're at a point where it's our minds. Yeah. We, we've transitioned to this technology age where it's like the high-paying jobs are the ones behind the computers. Yeah. The people who aren't lifting their arms to lift weights and, you know, put gears on planes <laughs> and right. things like that. It's right. the people who are coding and making these programs for, you know, even us to record right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's always that uh, 
You, you know, you get from time to time, you'll get that. Oh, back in my day, you know, that back in my day talk, which is, I appreciate the back in my day talk, but it comes a point in time, like, look, okay, I understand it's back in your day, but that was, what, 1960-something. It is now, that's like 50 years ago. It is now 2019. Like you said, we're in the age of just technology. And I am starting to notice that now. The fact, and this, I see is more of a high demand in the technology where even high demand in the in the factories too. You know, you see Amazon, bro. They're here they're charge they're um they're offering fifteen dollars an hour now. You know, even with I think like after a certain months you get a raise or something like that. So I think that it has to be a it definitely has to be a balance though. It definitely has to be a balance. I want to be able to teach people or our people, you know, you can work we ain't got to go in and bust your ass. We ain't got to go work two or three jobs to get where you need to be. You know, it may take a while for you to get the get to that position and reach that and reach that you know that plateau, but it's gonna it's gonna be worth a while. And that's one thing I could I could never do. I thought about this, but I just couldn't work. Just work two jobs at all because I always wanted to use my brain to do something to figure out. I'm always scheming. Well, not always scheming. I'm always trying to figure out how I can make you know. Make more money, if not even just more money, but how can I teach somebody else how to, you know, make more money? Yeah, and I was uh, just watching an interview with Dame Dash because I love to watch a lot of different, you know, motivational speakers and people that I think have a lot of good knowledge to give people. And he brought up a good point of, like, working on ourselves in a way that we're doing what we love. Mm -hmm. Like, why ever get paid to do something that you don't love? Yeah, like insanity, if you're gonna bro. have somebody telling you what to do, make sure you find a reason to do it. He mm-hmm. was like, a uh, good point he brought up. How many people would pay for an opportunity to be, you know, in the studio with a Jay Z or a Nas or a Biggie? How many people pay for concerts, thousands of dollars to do that, and mm-hmm. he got to do it for free? So he said, why not have fun with what you do? You know, like I got to be in, you know, have this experience with these people in this moment that can't be recreated. But it's because I chose to do something that I felt I loved and I made sure that I gave all my time and all my energy to it. You know, we don't I think we fall short of that, to be honest with you, man. We always we we're always shooting for the we're always shooting for the bread, always shooting for the money. But when you notice or whenever I notice. When I try to put money first or put um, revenue first, I've always failed. Not failed as in lack of financial gain, but failed as in like, I feel like sometimes I, I mentally fail myself because, okay, this is making money, but this is not what I want to do. This ain't my passion. My passion is this. Having, it's, you know, exchanging dialogue between you and other people or just you and my brother. You know what I mean? This is, this is what I want to do. And when we place those type of like I said we place those type of stipulations on ourselves too we're so hard on ourselves that we never really get to break out of that hole that we dig ourselves in because of due to the fact that we're always about making money 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 and that's not the case it's never the case with me some cases but success to you may be different from my definition of success you know some people like it like with the with the uh, killer Mike envy you know some people want to be millionaires I can be comfortable making a good living just doing this all day. Yeah. And I would I would totally agree with that statement. It's, it's anytime you equate your happiness with money, it'll always run out. Yeah. Because it'll never be enough money that you can make yeah. to stay happy. 
because you, you can always chase more money. Mm-hmm. But when you equate your happiness happiness to something that's not like physical or tangible, mm-hmm. you can always be happy. When you're in love with the process or how you go about doing things or the craft or what it is you do, it, it doesn't matter if you're getting paid for it or not. Like I, you know, want to do this podcast or I want to talk to people because like you said, this is what I would want to do no matter what, whether I'm getting paid for it or not. Mm-hmm. It'd be great to be able to capitalize off of it, yeah. but it wouldn't make me a difference if I was on the street talking to people, changing lives, or if I was in this studio trying to make money from it. Mm-hmm. I would still do it because that's what I care more about than anything else. Yeah. Same same thing with me, man. Um, I said, we got to you know, run your own race and pursue your, pursue your passion for sure because with that passion... Find a passion. You can even have multiple passions, but I feel like, you know, you can be a jack of all trades, but you need to be a master at one, you know? And uh, my dad, my father was always taught me that from day one to be a jack of, you know, you can be a jack of all trades, but master one because, you know, that that one is going to be your bread and butter. You know, it's going to get you from point A to point B. So all those little, you know, soft skills, you know, showing up on time, you know, being, you know, using a... no, thank you. You know, yes, yes, sir. No, sir. Thank you. No, thank you. You know, just those type of skills, soft skills that we can learn that can actually help build our character. And once you build that character, you can, once you have that type of character set in stone, you can build that passion for yourself, too. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you have a strong sense of who you are at those mm-hmm. moments. And exactly. And that's why uh, there's certain jobs I just had to leave, man. Like that sleep number job I had. Yeah, it was making good money, but I wasn't happy. I was... I was going. I was going home just to do it all over again, you know. Literally, just going home to do it all over again. What I'm doing now, we're you know working at Noble. I, I definitely is something I want to do. Now, will I be doing that forever? I don't know, but I know that you know my calling is to inform. I just know my calling is to form or educate people. You know, it's it's just to knowledge people. You know, and that's what I feel like my my calling is. And I'll never get tired of that. I'll never get tired of talking ever. And that's crazy because I. At one point in time, I was shy, but now I'm just like, whatever. Either you're going to listen or not. Either you're going to feel me or you're not going to feel me. The ones that's going to feel me, appreciate you. Even if you don't feel me, I appreciate you. I appreciate you for listening to me. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's why we go way back because, like, I feel like we're introverts. So, like, a lot of times we don't always put ourselves out there to, you know, be around a bunch of people. We feel better being alone. (laughs) But I think we've grown in a lot of ways because we understand that our stories are important as well because Mm -hmm. maybe our stories could help benefit other people going through the same things just like us. Or people may not even be going through similar things, but just to give another perspective, Mm -hmm. I believe that's always important. I don't think it's about changing people's minds or always trying to persuade people, but to just show them, like, there's a different side of life. Like, if you're an extremely wealthy person, you need to see that perspective of the the working-class individual and what he's going through, because that may bring you closer. That may also help us find a way to bridge some of these pay pay wage gaps mm-hmm. between men and women, or between black men and black women, or you know whites and blacks. There's yeah. so many different ways we could combat that situation if only sometimes we took that time to listen to one another. Yeah, communication is definitely communication, and you know, is definitely is definitely good and. It should be it should be brought about in the community. I feel like the high class that there there should be some type of cinema, seminar where 
high class people like a like a business owner or a millionaire or you know lawyer doctor or even I say even firefighter paramedic you know have like a type of workshop and come down to the lower class or come down to kids who's looking who's trying to get into that field or not even kids or even somebody like myself or even me and you you know still 25 still young still pretty young so should have it come down there so you know this is hey this is what this is what I've done this is what I've done this is what I've done that may not be your route but here are the steps that I took here are the mentally preparing steps that I took to get myself to this position you know like you said they should be uh, um like trying to discuss that wage gap because a lot of these a lot of these companies and these jobs just don't for what they do for what their employees do just don't pay enough at all and we can't you know just can't make a living out here just by getting by by the skin of your teeth you know so I think it's important to also have like a tangible representation of something that you want to become. Yeah. So like you can own, if you can't envision yourself being there, yeah. then you'll never make it there. Yeah. So you have to be able to see yourself in that position and see what it takes to get there. Yeah. And kind of and give yourself an idea of like this is what I want. I'm going to have to put this amount of time in and I have a mentor, I have somebody I can look up to. For advice, yeah, because yeah. we also gotta, you know, lend a hand when people need help. I feel like there should be a lot, and there is nothing wrong with a mentor, man. I feel like people look at having a mentor as like weak, and you're what? It, what are you not able to accomplish anything yourself? Like, no, that's not the fact of me being weak. It's just the fact that he's doing something that I want to do that I have a passion in, and I feel like that he can definitely, his knowledge and his wisdom can definitely prepare me and help me to become what I want to become. And I feel like there should be more like type of workshops with with like um like I said with artists or you know or um artists with them rather maybe music artist or poet or um author, some type like that, or even when it comes to like movie, have some type of workshops for these kids. Cause all these kids want these kids want to see something else. They want to see something different, especially black kids. Like I said earlier in the podcast, nobody everybody doesn't want to be a ball player. Everybody don't want to play football. There's kids out there who really like are in love with you know, with Japanese illustration and anime or just movies or just in love with we are or excuse me, in love with reading, you know, that that untapped potential hasn't even been tapped into yet because you just throw them to the wayside because they're not seen as profitable to the society. Yeah, and they're also not around people who think like them because you are who you hang around. Yeah. So if you're not spending time around people who have similar interests, you'll never groom your passion. Mm -mm. So the reason why I feel like I've become a better speaker in a lot of ways is because we do have these conversations yeah. outside of you know this microphone. We do. We have these conversations every day. So I'm more confident in talking in front of people or talking about the things I care about because I spent all my time talking about these things. Yeah, our, yeah, man. Iron definitely sharpens iron, man. Iron, I, I will say that iron sharpens iron. And it needs to be more of a dialogue that happens every day like this. You know, it doesn't have to be every single day, but just that type, you know, keep your mind sharp. Just keep your mental... Mental, mental, mental game on a one, you know, so you don't never slip or never fall, and with, and with that, um, that part of the game, you just really have to hold, like I said, even with the last episode, hold each other accountable. You know, that's the that's really, 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 really the main thing. So, what do you see yourself like doing as far as your like your passion and all that stuff? Ultimately, I would like to, you know, of course, get into 
buying some land because I want to rebuild, you know, mm. our black community and community overall. These lower income areas, fix some schooling systems, yeah. maybe own a school one day. There's a guy, Sean Washington, you know, I may not know him personally, but he's trying to build a charter school in here in Indiana for mm. like black kids. So I, I feel like that's somebody you need to support. I think it's something that's important to our community in a lot of ways because he's trying to do something good for us. So ultimately, I see myself, you know, lecturing maybe and just talking to people and helping people through their life situations or to think about things differently. Kind of like a Socrates, you know, how he just went around and lectured people walking around. <laughs> yeah. Like I would love to be able to just walk around and lecture people, but right. not in a way of like, I know what's right, but in a way to push them so that they know what's right for them. Right. No, I, I, def I could definitely see you doing that. Definitely. But you have a degree in psychology, right? Yes, I do. How did that make you feel when you obtained that degree? It made me feel good, but I think the only reason I even made it to get my degree was because of, like, I always set that as a goal because mm -hmm. not very many people that were around me were going to college. Mm -hmm. So once I got around people who I saw going to college and doing these things, I was able to put myself there, and I was like, I'm not going to stop until I reach that goal. I will graduate college. I'll be that person in my family that everyone can look up to and go to right. for advice because I went the distance. I didn't give up and I didn't let anything that stopped me along the way, whether it be the death of my father or, you know, my cousin who used to live with us or anybody else I lost along my journey. I believe all those people pushed me to be the man that I am and I wouldn't give up on it. No, that's, that's true. So what made you... Uh go into psychology or what was did you have a did you have an option before that or what was it before psychology was always psychology at the funny thing is uh, was I always wanted to be a scientist and then eventually that changed when I got to high school and actually got to Ben Davis and I started taking like physics classes and then mm -hmm. my love became engineering because I wanted to see how the world worked mm -hmm. the deeper questions right so I uh, got into like AP physics but then at the same time I got into AP psychology and once I saw how the human mind worked and like the inner workings of, you know, interpersonal or communication amongst one another and how it affects our brains and how it lights up, I just I just fell for it. I felt like the only way I could truly touch people was to understand more about our body and our mind because us as humans we only got what maybe 12 to 15% of what our total mass of our brain is. Mm -hmm. So we're only utilizing less than a fourth of the matter that we call our brain. Mm -hmm. So if we could tap into that untapped potential, like we could really make a difference. See? That's and that's something saying. that Dame Dash also brings up in this interview that I was thinking about last night. So like, you know, he kind of took the words out of my mouth when I you know, was thinking about it. It's like, yeah. that's really what drove me to psychology. I just cared a lot about people and wanting to help people, you know, push through these, you know, lack of coping skills or not understanding why they're depressed or why they're feeling the way that they feel. Yeah, no, that's true. I, um, I got into psychology, it was my... I can't remember what year it was in, in school. It wasn't even high school. It was college. When I got into psychology, it was psychology. And I took a couple philosophy classes. Then with, with psychology, I learned about, you know, type A, type B personality, stuff like that. Just learned, like you said, I learned about a lot. Even stuff I didn't even know that I thought I knew. 
but it was always more to learn. And then what really got me was the philosophy class, philosophy and philosophy religion. And that's the one that like opened my mind to a lot. Like, oh man, geez, this is. It really left me speechless. Like I got, it was just I want to say it was too much too much to digest. But I would go in and come out. I would go into class, come out of class, and just be like, man, this is probably the best class that I'm going to take in my college career because it touched on like um, Shinto, Confucianism, um, Judaism, Christianity, Catholicism, Islam, Hindu. It's, it was a definitely, you know, interesting class. And, of course, and then there was a lot of debates too because a lot of people had problems with it, but I didn't see a problem with it at all. Everybody just has a different point of view and you shouldn't be knocked for it. Having a different point of view, or in my time, it shouldn't be not for having a you know different passion. Yeah, and that's funny because it's like the other part of my degree is in philosophy. So like I also had a similar story. Like I took a philosophy class, and it really, I think it was the first time that I really like got my mind out of a systematic way of thinking and began thinking about the questions that no one else thought about, mm-hmm. or maybe the questions that people have thought about, but we haven't spent a lot of time with them. And I wanted to give my own perspective on a lot of these, you know, overarching questions. So I felt like philosophy is what really pushed me to where I am now. That combination of psychology and philosophy was just amazing. Yeah, like that, like that. Well, you guys about to wrap it up here at Rob Ripple Village Recorder Studio. Thanks to my guy Brian for engineering, being a good good guy to us, let me letting us use his studio. Yeah, thank you, bro. Definitely appreciate that. Devontae, bro, appreciate you coming through as always, man. I told you my co-host now, man. That's setting stone. Yeah, I plan to be here every week. Oh yeah, you my co-host, man. But appreciate 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 y'all listening. And this is the God Dimension Podcast. We are signing out. Peace.